Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for April has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is David Chartier, formerly a writer for everything from the unofficial Apple weblog to Macworld to Ars Technica, and currently a herald for Agile Bits, uh, working in marketing, and uh, and also the proprietor of Finer Things in Tech. How's it going, David? It's going really well, Brad. Thanks for having me on. It, it's my pleasure. Uh, we we have known each other since your days at Tua. Yes. Uh, because of, of an app called Mood Blast that I... My first ever Macintosh, Apple Mac OS ten application. Wait, that was your first? Yeah, I, I, that that started as an Apple script for which I had to learn Apple script, <laughs> and then it developed into an actual Cocoa application. That's that's actually really funny. I did not know that back then when I found it, and it didn't, for what it's worth, it didn't feel like one at all. That thing was awesome. It didn't feel like a first attempt. No, not at all. That thing was great. It was uh, it was like a. Uh, you could you could send like a message out to multiple networks at once, right? Hence right. Mood Blast, right? With all this bizarre, uh, like command line, termin like uh, like you could use like Bang Weather, and it would insert a weather forecast into your status update. I don't know if you ever got into the weird stuff it did, but no, I didn't get into the into the banging. Um, <laughs> aside, aside from my keyboard, you could but. use like uh, carrots and exclamation points to determine which parts of the status went to which services. So you could send like a, a prefix to you know how Facebook asked uh, at the time it was like what are you doing? Yeah, and then it would put your first name. It'd be like Brett Terpstra is, and then whatever your status update was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Mood Blast could compensate for the different phrasing of the different services. And you could put like in brackets, like I am, and then on Facebook it would leave that out, but on Twitter it would include it. Yeah, anyway. Man, even back then you were like way ahead of the curve. You had all these bangs and carrots and like other <laughs> vegetables built right all, into your app. And... All these features that no one ever uses. <laughs> <laughs> but that I felt solved a problem. Yeah, so um, I thought that counts. Well, and, and I guess like I, I, like, I like problem solving uh, more than uh, marketing, which is what I ended up going into, which is kind of where you are right now. Yes, yes, that's that's primarily what I do at uh, at Agile Bits, the One Password folks. And so, what kind of uh, what kind of uh, mediums, forums do you use for marketing Agile Bits? So we're we're kind of everywhere. Um, we of course are on social. Uh, I help out with, with some of that. Uh, I help out with a lot of our copywriting, like, like, you know, kind of polishing our message for what we want to say on the website. I run the blog, I help with Facebook. Um, I basically, I take what, you know, all the stuff that people don't see behind like software development, like the message that we think we're trying to do with like this new feature or whatever. And I try to turn it into English. That's understandable. Do you, do you also do kind of market research to find out how people are actually using features that you think they're using? To to an extent, yes. It's this is the interesting one of the interesting parts about one password in that um, you know we don't have a lot of stuff like um, we don't have a ton of analytics right now built into our apps, and I so, appreciate that. That that gets a little tricky, right? A, a ton of apps can tell you, you know, what OS you have, how long you spent on this tab, you know, all that kind of stuff. What websites um, you're visiting, what your passwords are. No. Yeah, they can really get into it, and we're not we're not doing any of that. Um, and so that gets that gets tough. That means, but on the on the flip side of that, it also means that we can have a more direct relationship with our customers because we want we want to find that stuff out. We send uh, a newsletter. One of our co-founders, Dave Tier, he loves writing his uh, his newsletters, and uh, we'll reach out that way. We'll reach out on social. We'll do surveys and stuff, and that has some pros and cons, which you know this show probably isn't about. Um, You'd be but, surprised what this show is about. <laughs> um. But yeah, it, it is kind of fun in that way. We get to talk directly to people when we do want to find that kind of stuff out. Like, how many items do you have? What types of, you know, what ways do you use 1Password? All those things that companies would want to know to help make their stuff better. And you guys also run a very active uh, forum. Yes, yes, very active in the forums. That is handled by a couple of our other folks. Um, 
And we, we love having our customers get in touch with us. That's one thing. You know, social forums, um, email address, it's, it's on our support site. We absolutely love talking to our customers uh, about everything. So feedback, something's not working right. You're just happy because you got your grandma into 1Password and it totally clicks. We want to hear it all. Nice. See, I asked the question because my last guest was an ethnographer. And we talked about kind of like the difference between focus groups and actual user uh, observation and seeing how people use, you know, you can add a really cool feature to something, but if it's not findable or it doesn't do what people think it will do, it, it's, it's a lost, it's lost hours of your development time. Right. And, and one password does a lot of cool stuff. And I've just, I've always wondered if the average, you know, grandma starts using it, does she find Things like the duplicate password checker, things like that. You know, it's it's funny. We get emails about a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, I didn't know I could save secure notes. I didn't know I could just write down, like, freeform text notes in there, and that's all locked away with everything else. But the most funny thing, and it's part of the reason why we have these new T-shirts now, is a feature I think 1Password has had almost since day one is you have a brow- a shortcut for our browser extension to just fill your password into the current website, and it's command slash. Uh, on Windows, it's it's control slash, I believe. I believe and, it's command backslash, isn't it? Uh, backslash, excuse me. I always change um, mine, so I forget what the default is. But Yeah, I, I, all right. We need to time out here for a second. I am one of those people who cannot keep their slashes straight. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm sorry. Like, kick me off the show right now if you need to, but... Forward slash, upside down slash, whatever it is. Um, you and back- John Stewart, man. If he says <laughs> HTTP colon backslash backslash again, although I think he's gotten some complaints because he hasn't said that for a while. Yeah, I, I think he just learned it because you don't need it, right? So he just he doesn't need to get himself into that trouble. Um, but yeah, c- command backslash, It's it's been like the default shortcut. It's in preferences. I think it's been in the absence day one. And it's one of those things that like everyone, it's instinctive, like breathing and I don't want to say we forgot about it, but sometimes we forget to mention it because it's so basic. And every time we send a message out on Twitter or whatever, or I mention it on the blog, we get a, a surprising number of people who are like, oh my gosh, that's the greatest thing ever. I've been using 1Password for three years and oh I didn't God. know that was there. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, you should evangelize that. You should make t-shirts, definitely. Oh, I know you did. Yeah, yeah. We sell one that says uh, command, command backslash is my password. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's always a perfect com- conversation starter because people are like, what? I know your password now? What's your name and address? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and plus now with the, the mini one password and kind of universal access to all of your accounts, one, or ba- command backslash works everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been really really awesome, especially, you know, we we recently added something called uh, multiple vaults. So now you can create a separate vault that gets its own master password and you can put it somewhere else in Dropbox and say share it with your team at work or for a lot of people, you know, their their spouse at home or their whole family. And now you've got just your stuff in that vault for them. And they can switch to it and command backslash sign into everything. And um, you can kind of keep that stuff separate. But uh, they, I mean, our developers are incredible. They added a lot of great little magic to, to make it such a smooth process. And that's been, that's probably been our biggest hit lately. People were so happy to hear that show up. Yeah, me too. Um, what was I, there was some, oh, during my short stint working at Agile Bits. I uh, I learned about the JSON copy command, where you can copy uh, a password securely as a JSON blob and paste it into a chat, and someone else can copy that. Go to go to one password and hit Command V, and import your password. Like if it's a shared password. Yeah, yeah. I it's, love that. Um, like no one's the average user will never do that, but it's one of those amazing features that's kind of hidden in the back of one password. And that's what powers like sharing over the email and, and messages, right? Mm-hmm. Apple's yeah. messages. So it's it's kind of this obscured format. It's technically not encrypted with like your master password. Right. So right. we we try to be careful with like you know don't send this out in the open or anything like that. But um, yeah, that was another great way to just share like a single thing between people and one of those little bits of polish that they they worked in. That was good. So you write uh, for Agile, but your 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 history for a long time has been tech writing. Yes, yes. I got my start at um, 
at the unofficial Apple. Well, technically, I got my start at Download Squad. I don't ah, know if you remember that. I wrote there for one article before they disbanded it. Yes, I I came up on Download Squad, and then Tuao was was hiring, and uh, and I I kind of sidestepped over and was still hoping to run some stuff at Download Squad, and then um, Ars Technica found me, and I was there for a couple years, and then I wrote for uh, MacWorld for a little bit. I, and does MacWorld call all of their writers editors, or did you have a high ranking position there? I was a I was an associate editor. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, all of our stuff pretty much needs a lot of editing. And you have to do that yourself first before giving it to your actual editor. Because if not, you're going to end up, <laughs> at, at Ars Technica, for example, you would end up in the woodshed, uh, the an IRC channel, um, where it's just you and your other editor. And he's basically taking you out back behind the woodshed because you probably deserved it. <laughs> that, uh. That was a great way to onboard new people. <laughs> what, what I've liked about writing for Macworld in the couple pieces that I've done for them is their editing process is not laborious. They, they basically um, they edit your piece the way they think you meant to say it. You get one review, and it's, it thus far has always been spot on, and then it's published. And there's not a ton of back and forth, and could you please change your wording here and... They have good editors at Macworld. They do. No, they're they're very good. I I still freelance for them um, every now and then, uh, and and you're right. It's that's about what it's like. Uh, they they have um they work on a pretty clear direction for you with well depending on the type of piece they you know they'll work fairly closely with you and uh, it's it's really smooth. Great folks. Definitely. I I'm looking forward to writing more for Macworld. Um, so. Uh, like keyboards, what do you like to type on? This is one of my big questions because <laughs> I've tried dozens of keyboards and I always come back to my Apple Bluetooth keyboard. It's the one that makes me happiest. This is one of the things I like. I feel like I'm a bad Apple person or something because I can, I hear so many shows where they're like, "Yeah, I have this old school like clickety clack like hipster keyboard." Um. And I'm the same way. I use whatever Apple's latest Bluetooth keyboard is because it usually has the least amount of travel, uh, and it's quiet. This it's very, what, very quiet. I have a DOS sitting next to my desk, and it sounds like this. Yeah, it, it sounds like you're tap dancing. That's not I, your keyboard, I right? Don't, I don't enjoy it. Apparently, people like the tactile feedback, and they get really into their cherry blues and browns, but... but you, oh, we, all, we all know what happens when you add brown to technology. Right, I mean, we learned that lesson with the Zoom, didn't we? I was going to say <laughs> with the Zoom, yes. <laughs> it's not a it's not a successful color. Let's let's break this cycle of history repeating itself. Although, uh, if you get into blues, you're looking at uh, the uh, the icon color controversy. Even controversy, my wife, yeah, like too many blue icons has been a major complaint for a long time, and. I, I among among the the technorati whatever you want to call them uh it's been a a point of contention but even my wife has she's noticed it to the extent where if i show her an application and it has a blue icon she will she'll swear and she'll say the equivalent of gosh darn it another blue icon Actually, you know what? You're you're right, but I will disagree. It's not just the the technorati and, and the nerds about this stuff. I you're totally right. My wife, uh, my sister, and my parents have all made basically complaints that, you know, like how family and friends do, like they complain to you, but they're expecting you to like write this down and file it in your special Apple folder that like Tim Cook is personally going to review. Right. Um, they, they've all, could you tell Apple that the, I can't decide what icon that is? I don't know which one to click on, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I dial up Tim Cook and we have a conversation about it. I do appreciate people using colors other than blue, but there are some colors, like with my last uh, release of Marked uh, with the big icon change, I, uh, I considered an orange icon for a while. But there's something that stands out too much about an orange icon. I feel like uh, the chrome icon with its red, green, yellow stands out as, as about as much as I want an icon to stand out on my dock. I don't need anything in my dock being glaring. Just enough differentiation to find at a glance what I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking at the new marked icon right now, and uh, 
it's it's a nice subtle blue, but the but the black, I don't know, it kind of balances it out. It doesn't feel like you know Twitter and I'm looking at my doc right now, like hip it chat. It sounds and, to me like you're looking at the Mark One icon. I'm just saying. Is is the new one the white? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yes. All right, excuse me, everybody. I was mistaken. Um, the white, I, I dude, you, you look like you're ready for the new OS 10 already. That was, yeah, it's supposed to be future proof. You know, it's going to get all uh, iOSified, right? Like they're going to drop all the yeah. stitched leather and and BSM and stuff. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I'm, I'm preparing the uh, the main interface for that too. I like line icons. I like I like iOS seven a lot. And I don't know if that's weird, but I have no complaints about flat design. That is that is somewhat controversial, but this is the podcast to, to be controversial on, it sounds like. Um, I, I like it, I, but I feel like um, it's, it's one of those things that other people have said. Like, it's a good starting point, uh, but there's, there's a lot of holes to fill in yet. And if Apple knows how to do anything, it's filling in holes. Right. So. Well, there are some issues with usability, especially in third-party apps that don't properly highlight and tint and all of the different things that you can do to indicate that something is actually clickable. Uh, like things, things like that can, can definitely be hangups in the flat design. You have to know how to make usable apps still. Yeah. But they're so clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're, it feels like a less of a cognitive load, you know, like yeah. I don't need to figure out what all these little things are. It just, well, we'll see. Yes. June is uh, June is how many months away? Uh, two, right? No, no. Um, but no, speaking of right. one month, speaking of all these uh, icons, though, I I feel like so I went to design school uh, and I use some of those skills in my work today. But I am I am no longer a designer, which means I don't have the the names and and book resources to back all this up. But have you ever looked into the color theory behind why, say, for example, so many icons or company logos are blue? I have not. Uh, I don't know if this trivia is going to be useful to anyone, so I offer no money-back guarantee. But uh, it basically boils down to, I remember from my color theory classes, that it's, uh, they showed us a sort of like a rainbow of, of company logos at the time. And you know you see your Dells and your IBMs over in the blues, and the blue was massive, the blue section. Just blue is an incredibly popular color. Uh, just getting away from icons like business logos. And then you get your oranges and your reds and some of the others. Uh, but it basically boils down to all of the theory and the reading and the schooling and the tuition. Uh, it's our favorite color to look at. That makes sense. Blue always- is blue is the human brain's favorite color to look at. Mine, mine is uh, my blue that I prefer is just on the edge of turquoise. Mm. It's not like a deep royal blue. I find yeah. that I find that old fashioned, but if you move it on across the hue scale just a little bit towards turquoise, that's I find I find that's my default because I went to design school too, and I don't design a lot anymore. But when faced with a color choice, my default the the place my brain always starts is at that particular blue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not surprising. It it all goes back to. So calming. much of our behavior is, it's not just calming, but there's a reason for why it's calming. It, it goes all back to our, sort of our, our primitive heritage. What's, what's the color that people, before like all the silly society stuff showed up, <laughs> what, what was the thing that we looked at the most every day? Not the our computer oceans? screen. Sky. Oceans. The sky. sky. Right. Right. So our brains just got used to looking at that color all the time, and it's, it's very, very soothing. It's easy for us to look at. It's easy for us to process. And when you see other colors in the sky, it often means bad things. Exactly. Right? And it kicks on those survival instincts and all the other fun yeah. stuff. Hmm. Primal color preference. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to do a quick sponsor break and then come back, and we're going to talk about... Uh, Possibly taking on too many jobs. Perfect. All right. Well, today's episode is brought to us by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the code SPRINGTIME at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Um, do you Have you ever used Squarespace, David? I have, actually. I have kind of a 
funny story with it, and I won't go too into too is into it, it. Bad. If it's bad, you can't tell it. No, no, it's it's it not. Has to be I beautiful. I used it a while ago. It wasn't fitting what I needed, so that's not necessarily bad, right? That I, that happens with things. But uh, I have started basically stalking their website right now. Is that a thing? I'm not breaking the law, am I? I I I think that that's cleared under uh, several statutes. <laughs> but it's it's getting very very appealing. They they have built something uh, something special there. I just sent someone there today. She's an artist. Uh, she's probably the best painter I know, and I'm dying to have her on the show. But Mary Silberg was looking for a new, um, a place to display her portfolio and sell her art. And I could have put together an e-commerce WordPress site for her, but I couldn't have done it as well as what you can find right on the demo page for Squarespace. And that sounds like an ad, but it's part of this ad, but it's honest to God true. And she's excited about it. Um, so a, a couple points about Squarespace. First, it's simple and easy. Everything is drag and drop. You can just put together a website without knowing anything about code. And you automatically get a responsive design. So it'll work on your phone, your tablet, and your desktop. They offer 24-7 support with live chat and email and, uh, and they have centers located in New York City and Dublin, which means pretty much any time, day or night, you can get someone live. Um, and plans start at just $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Uh, they also have e-commerce options, which is what I really, it, that was the clincher for me recommending this to the artist. Um, because she can actually sell without any hassle, and e-commerce is the worst part of web design. Um, well, in my opinion, but you can start a trial, uh, with no credit card required and you can start building a website immediately. Uh, so when you decide to sign up, make sure you do use the offer code springtime to get 10% off and show your support for systematic. So thanks to Squarespace for supporting five by five and systematic. You know, actually I do have, I do have one thing to add a, a very tiny little good story about, about Squarespace. <laughs> I'm if open I into it. Okay, and this is this is totally serious. We did not talk about this before the show. Um, I was looking at Squarespace the other day uh, for a website project, and I was trying to figure out whether it does something. Uh, I was trying to figure out whether it uh, will track its st- built-in statistics for website visitors and page views and things like that, if it will track uh, your RSS feed subscribers. And I was looking through the documentation, and... More than likely, my my search was failing me. I didn't find an answer about this, so I went to the bottom of their support page or somewhere there, and uh, there was a chat support option. I'm not an existing customer, right? Yeah, that's that's usually one of those things where you know you could try our thing for free, but we're not going to give you support, or maybe we won't give you chat or live support, whatever. I found the chat button at the bottom of their support document and dialed it up and typed in my little question, and someone was with me almost immediately. They never asked whether I was a customer. Like, there was never a thing. Like, they weren't like, oh, you're not a Squarespace customer? Goodbye. Um, the the woman who started helping me was super helpful. Uh, she totally knew where to point me. She pointed me towards a document I was looking for that had all the information that I needed. And at one point, she actually did, like, she asked me to do something in my dashboard so I could, like, turn on this feature. Um, she kind of assumed I was a customer, and I just said, oh, oh no, sorry, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a customer yet. I'm looking into this. And she was like, well, great, if I can help you, you know, Answer any other questions if you know if you need to know anything else. I'm happy to help, and maybe you can give it a trial. Um, like she was just really, really great about the fact that I'm I'm still not a paying cu- a customer, and yet she's giving me her time as a support rep. That was really cool. That is awesome. Um, so, d- did you figure out? Do they offer RSS stats? Oh yes, the the end of the story. Uh, they do. They do actually. And one of the cool things about Squarespace is you can have multiple blogs under the same site. And they each will get their own RSS feed, nice. and so it'll it'll track each of those. So if you you know your restaurant wants to have a personal blog, but also a blog for news of your latest menu or whatever, you want to separate some of those things out for whatever reason, you can do that, and they'll each get their own stats. Nice, nice. I should put a plug in on the side for uh, FeedPress, which is what I use with my Jekyll blog, and it has been spectacular. It's just a very simple replacement for like Google Analytics uh, or Google's reader stats. Feed burner. 
feed burner. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> that's that's how long it's been. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, but yeah, feedpress.it. If you're looking for RSS stats that aren't on Squarespace, that's the place to go. Yeah, they're good folks too. Yeah, he's uh, speaking of responsive. Like, I can find entire missing features that I wish were there. I can email the developer, and this isn't just me. I'm sure he's responsive to everybody. Uh, and he'll email me the next morning because he's on a different, very different time uh, zone. But he'll email me the next morning and be like, yep, I added that. And that's awesome. Yeah, those are, uh, those are good folks there too. I use them on my WordPress sites. Nice. All right. So, and they do have a WordPress plugin. Why am I doing an ad for, no, it's a plug, right? Right. Okay. So, so you, <laughs> you, you told me in the pre-show about the number of projects you've taken on at once and it's it's it sounds like you might have a problem saying no or did you go out and seek all this work it's it's a little bit of of both and i i feel like this you know i i sort of want to have a conversation with you about this because time management i feel like with with people like us who have all these different interests and skills or at least the ability to acquire the skills is seems to be a thing uh, I, I hear this from a lot of other people, so hopefully I'm I'm not the only one. Uh, not to pull that, but you know I'm I'm I do this work for Agile Bits, and I run uh, you know a couple of websites, and I also have a little bit of client work, and you know it's a it's a mix of loving this work, which is part of the problem, right? Like when you enjoy what you do, it it sort of stops becoming work and something else, and that creates a whole bunch of different strange problems we can get into, but. It's also, I don't know if I have a problem saying no. Uh, That could be part of it. I like to help people, right? Yeah, that's my biggest issue. But I feel like like time management has changed with me, and I don't know if it's a result of working at home. Uh, You work at home too, right? Yep. So I work at home. I mean, I work with a couple teams of people. You know, so there are people around to sort of knock on my virtual door when necessary. But I feel like that's something that is has changed with me, and I'm not really sure. You know, I feel like I want to flip the interview around. I'm, I'm not really sure how to stop that that leaking. And you know, I'm wondering if if you have ideas about this. <laughs> well, I definitely take on more than I can handle. At least I did when I first went freelance. I I, I set up all of the jobs that I thought I could do so I could make sure I had multiple sources of income that were steady. And it turned out to be way more than I could accomplish, you know, given eight hour work days and, and normal sleep patterns. Um, so what I've been doing is admitting to, to certain parties that I can't complete. I'm just not going to be able to do the job that I signed up for. You know, if there's a, a down payment, refund it and and move on. Um, but then with the jobs that I've decided I can finish, I've been actually and and this is I've been advised against this, but I've been deciding, you know, that tomorrow is going to be nothing but writing or tomorrow is going to be nothing but developing. And when I wake up and say, all I have to do today is work on this book, or all I have to do today is work on the App Store version of Marked. And it's kind of a relief to not like go through my to-do list and see all of the unfinished tasks, but to just concentrate on one thing a day. Like blocking it out by hours, I could never do. But just focusing my effort on a particular context, like be it development, writing, blogging, etc., um, that's actually been working out for me lately. Like it used to be, I would just, uh, I would do my day job all day and then I would stay up all night doing whatever else I felt like. Yeah. The whole Batman thing. Right. And that, that, that drained me pretty quickly. So yeah, this new thing about like one focus area a day, because you know, I basically have nothing but free time right now. And at free time and a thousand things I could do with it. And if I don't have a focus, if I let everything overwhelm me, I end up not doing anything. Yeah, it's that too many options syndrome. When you can go in any direction, you know, yeah. you get stuck. 
per- paralysis per- paralysis of choice is that what they call it mm yeah yeah but uh, so two questions one um why were you advised against it because uh trying to structure multiple contexts like that can be detrimental is what i was told um and 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 i have found that if i try to stick too strictly to a structure I laid out. If I wake up in the morning on a coding day and say, man, I really could, I could write a whole chapter right now. I switch, you know, and I have that flexibility to say, okay, nope, today's a writing day. Uh, I can go where my brain is at and trying to force that would be detrimental. Mm. I believe that's, I believe that's the argument against blocking your time out that way. Yeah, I can see that because there, there's there's a lot of talk about you know especially in you're not you're not exactly like a you know what people think uh, it seems like people think traditionally of of a traditional creative like like an artist a music artist or something but this is creative work oh it very much you know, so yeah you're you're very much flexing that that muscle and and I can totally see that like if you're if you're just not feeling that type of creative work you know forcing it is just not not going to happen. But I I like this idea. I like this idea of maybe splitting it out by by days or or maybe half days or something. Uh Yeah, if you that's if really you interesting. Need to, uh half days work, but I in any given context, I always have at least 8 hours worth of stuff I can do. So splitting it out by full days works well for me. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, the, my biggest issue right now is I guess the fact that most of the projects I'm working on don't have, like, I'm not getting paid to work on them. I'm getting paid to finish them. Like the payoff won't come until they're complete. And that means that I can spend an entire month working on just one or two projects and, and not have a paycheck. Hmm. And the paycheck that I get when they're finished will make up for that. But I've had to learn to budget better. And like for a long time there, I was earning a full-time salary plus that full-time salary almost again on side projects. And I didn't have to worry about budgeting. If I needed something, I could just buy it. And I'm no longer in that position. And I made a choice to not be in that position. But now my time management actually affects my standard of living. And that's a weird position for me to be in. And a new a new set of skills to to learn or relearn or polish, yeah, or whatever. It's a it's a total switch in in thinking about your work and how you get it done. Right. When I was a kid, my parents gave us envelopes, and they would give us our allowance, and it was up to us to split that allowance into envelopes that would be labeled for their purpose. And this one would be saving up for a comic book, and this one would be uh, for savings. Uh, like for the bank, and this one would be to pay for the things that our parents, our parents would give us a larger allowance, but then require us to pay for certain, like when we go out to dinner, it would be Dutch. And they more oh, wow. than covered it. You know, they covered it, but it was up to us to learn the responsibility of this is what it costs to go out for a meal. And okay. I think I think they made a really sincere effort to give me the skills that I need right now, and I just refuse to learn them. <laughs> I'm horrible at this. Yeah, hey, they held up their end of the bargain. So. They really did. They really did. But it's 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 tough, and I feel like there's there's not a lot of, and maybe I'm just looking in the wrong places, but I feel like there's not a lot of of guidance on this. You know, so many people say like, you know, nobody knows what they're doing on on this end of the the work, and in some ways it's really liberating, but in others it's um, intimidating. That might not be the right word. But it is. It's intimidating. Are, are, are we talking about time management or budgeting now? Uh, both. Yeah. Okay. You know, just this end of the job of of being your own, you know, island of of getting work done and deciding what you do and where you go. I feel like there are probably a lot of books out there I could read about it, but I've never trusted one person's opinion. You know, like if one person sits down and writes a book about how they pulled it off. It might be great for inspiration, but for me, like things never work the way they do in that book. So 
I have made a conscious decision to just figure this out on my own, but that's the way I do everything is just, let's just try it and I'll figure it out. I've never had a job that I was qualified for when I started it. I just <laughs> jump in and say, eh, it can't be that hard. <laughs> and so far you've been, you've been lucky. I have never failed yet. That that's a lesson I'm I'm learning lately too. Both with myself and <clears throat> well, just in in a number of ways. Like in the job market, uh, you're you're always what's the phrase you you hire for the job that you you dress for the job you want. Yeah, not not for the job you're you're hiring for or something like that. <laughs> something like um, that. Um, today is not my day for phrases. That's all right. Um. But yeah, you're you're everybody's hiring into a job where they they don't have certain skills. They need to learn them or invent them or or whatever it is. And that's that's been a key thing to remember for some of the work that I've been getting into. Yeah. Well, and certain people some call them autodidactic, some call them just very creative and problem-solving oriented. But certain people excel they do better when they don't know what they're doing because they're figuring it out. They're, they're learning, they're absorbing. Some people actually require training and that's a foreign concept to me. I feel like you're probably relatively autodidactic yourself. I am. I am generally speaking that I've had to do a lot of that. I mean, especially coming up and blogging, like nobody knew, nobody knew anything of what they were doing, you know, and, and podcasting. <laughs> you started back when they called them weblogs. <laughs> Oh, right. Um, I mean, podcasting too. For a while, I ran the uh, the unofficial Apple Weblog podcast, and none of us knew what we were doing or you know what people would like. And um, you know, just as a side note on this, actually, this is a bone that I've had to pick with the industry. Can I pick a bone? You may. Please awesome. do. Why is there no good? Why is there no Photoshop for podcasting? You mean something that simplifies it? No, see, okay, in that allegory, I would assume you mean something high-powered with a ton of features designed specifically for podcasting. Is that what you're saying? Mm, okay, so why why is there no um, Day One or Acorn or... Uh, GarageBand. GarageBand for, for podcasting. Right, they, they've removed a lot of podcasting tools from GarageBand, but the idea of something that would simply record, allow you to add markers allow you to reduce noise in the background, remove echo and publish would be amazing. Yeah. Record, you know, and, and the basics too, like record stuff on two separate tracks right? or even more people, you know, like podcasts don't have to be a two person affair. Uh, you know, there's not, how, I mean, how long has podcasting been around and long this, enough. this thing doesn't exist. You talk to all these people, especially, you know, the, the famous folks like you and, and the last one I remember like hearing me. was Dan Benjamin, des, you know, describing his setup. He has like, eight Mac minis that are hardwired into like a flux <laughs> capacitor. That's, you know, it's, uh, it's bonkers. all powered by dilithium crystals. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's practically science fiction. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's my bone to pick. I, I, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, I use, I use an app called call recorder that automatically records both sides of a Skype call and can split the channels, but then it's into logic and you have to know what you're doing just a to do $300 program, I believe. Yeah. Something like that. I had a lot of, uh, of iTunes gift cards, so I bought it. Um, but yeah, and you really, there's a learning curve just to do things that should be basic clicks in a podcasting application. Right. I would agree. And then, uh, I don't know if you've ever had to like publish to iTunes or, or to a podcast feed. I we I do I have a a small infrequently updated podcast for finer things in tech right now so I I have gone through that process. Have yes. you used Feeder? No, you should. It's from the guy who makes Together. It's reinvented software. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's called Feeder, and it makes you can drag and drop your podcast file onto Feeder, and it will basically just do the rest for you. All your, like all your enclosure settings, all the feed settings, and then it'll upload it wherever you tell it to. It's got built-in tools for S3 and SFTP. I love Feeder. I use it mo more for Sparkle casts, uh, for software updates. Mm. But it can, do, it can do regular RSS, it can do podcasts, it can do Sparkle feeds, whatever you need. 
anytime that phrase shows up for stuff like this, uh, do the rest for you is, <laughs> is a good works. thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I'm glad we got this out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to get this uh, off the shoulders, you know, get it in public. We can talk about it. Yes. So I guess we would call this a call to action for any developer who needs something to do with their time. <laughs> All right. Well, our second sponsor today is HostGator, which offers Linux VPS hosting that can be customized to match your needs and upgraded at any time. It's fully managed with 24-7 support every day of the year. They offer one-click installs of whatever compatible software you need, and the servers are scalable, so adding more resources at any time is super easy. Visit HostGator.com and use the code DANSENTME, and you'll get 50% off any VPS hosting. Short and sweet, but it, it's a the 50% off a of VPS. That's a great deal. Yeah, you can't... You know, usually it's like 15% off or 10% off. It like covers taxes or something. 50, I mean, just go. <laughs> just hey, do it. So did you have three top picks this week? I do. Uh, it, it's okay if they're like not, you know, like all apps or something, right? It's okay. That? It, they can be like favorite body parts if you want. <laughs> okay. But just maybe those. give me your first one and, and I'll let you know if it's if it's okay. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start easy. I'm going to start simple because it is something that I, I really have been enjoying. Uh, it's an iPhone app called Dispatch. Love Dispatch. Uh, it's, it's a mail client. It's an email client. Uh, there's a lot of email clients that have shown up recently. But the thing I really like about Dispatch is it, it feels like a, a good iOS citizen. You can basically tune it to work with most of the other apps that you care about. So when you get an email message or even a link in a message or text that you need to quote, whatever, you can select it, you can swipe the message, whatever you need to do, and send it to Evernote or turn it into an appointment in Fantastical or send it over to OmniFocus and make a task. Like it, It's a really good iOS citizen and it works with lots of these other apps that have you know URL schemes and APIs to, to do this kind of stuff. And that's how I love to work. You know, that, that feels... That feels like kind of like a Mac thing, you know. That's how um, Mail works with OmniFocus. OmniFocus has a plugin for it, so you right. you hit a keyboard shortcut, and now your email is a task in OmniFocus, and you can start doing your thing. And it there's certainly limitations, of course, with the way iOS works, but Dispatch does this really, really well, and it it totally fits with with how I need to use email on it. I totally agree. I mean, it's a, it's a five dollar app, and for me, the problem with mail in general on iOS is lack of OmniFocus integration or lack of integration with any task manager. Because for me, if I need to reply to an email, that I'll flag it. That's fine. I'll get back to it. I'll unflag it after I reply. But when I need to act on an email, when I need to actually do something, I don't want it sitting in my inbox. I want it in my task list. And that was the reason that I started using Dispatch to begin with, was OmniFocus integration. And everything else is awesome, but that was a requirement. Yeah, they're, they're good folks. They're, they're really responsive, too. You know, coming back to that whole support thing that we talked about with, uh, with Squarespace and such, you email them with a question, or why doesn't this feature work, or um, you know, how, could you add support for this type of app thing? They've always been super responsive with me. So, cool folks. Check it out. Definitely. Um, what, why can't more iOS apps have smart mailboxes? I, I think there's one called Boxer that has rudimentary smart mailboxes. But why is it so hard to run server-side searches and create local folders in an iOS app? You know, I've always wondered about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm more... I'm a bit more of a layperson. I don't understand a lot of the underlying architecture and, and code and how to build this stuff. But one of my theories is that smart technology is not really a standard. And so, you know, like those folders don't exist on the IMAP server. Right. To, you know, for another client to understand. But what they are, are search criteria. And it seems to me like you mail can run server side searches without downloading every message. 
So it seems to me that it should be entirely feasible. And I, when it comes to IMAP, I'm a layperson too. I, I don't understand the nitty gritty of it, but it totally, like, I'm so frustrated by the lack of smart. I, I depend on smart folders on my Mac. My entire email handling system is smart folder based. And without them on iOS, I can really only process incoming emails. Doing anything else is outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the only the only other theory I have on on these sorts of things is that uh, maybe it's just not that popular of a feature. Well, you know, the, it would be. I would make it popular. <laughs> just you by yourself. M- me and David Sparks. <laughs> I'd definitely use them too. I would. I would love for them to to show up. It just seems like something that no one's done. Like G. Well, I guess labels kind of are in Gmail. Yeah. Well, it's a start, but you can't you can't mix and match criteria. Right. Labels. Right. Label. I mean, it's basically tagging. But if you can't say, show me everything with this tag that's also unread from this person, it's not really a a smart folder. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Anyway, my first pick is an application for iPad that is specifically designed to make you look like an idiot. <laughs> like they really, I, I can't think of any other explanation, but I, I love this game. It's called Bonsai Slice. And you basically, your iPad becomes a sword in a three-dimensional world where you have to swing and slash and turn and track devices that appear in 360 degrees around you and uh and you use your ipad to like cut through them and get coins and points and there is no way to play this game without looking insane <laughs> it's uh, it's to an outsider it's fruit ninja for the real world it is basically right That's exactly what it is instead of fingers on the on the screen you're literally slashing things with your ipad and I should warn you, I discovered you because it sets the accelerometer's uh, position when you start the game, if you try to play it in a car, every time the car takes a turn, the iPad is assuming you're turning, so you have to keep twisting back to the direction you were facing when the trip started, and if you're wearing a seatbelt, it's impossible. What could possibly go wrong was <laughs> with flinging your iPad around in a car trying to chop from fruit. the passenger seat? Hold still. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do it. It's not a, it's not a portable game. It's it's designed stand in the middle of a room, look behind you, look both directions, start the game, and just slice away. If if I were going to WDC, I could I couldn't wait to see developers standing around just <laughs> clocking each other with their iPads, <laughs> waiting to get into some conference. Yes. Uh and that one is two ninety nine on the app store. There will be a link in the show notes. All right. So what's your second pick? So my second pick uh is is gonna get a little off the beaten path, I hope. Uh it's C two E two, the uh Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo that I just went to last weekend. Uh I just it... It seems like there should be an R two D two joke in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, and I'm sure there were there were plenty made on the floor. Uh, <laughs> are you are you a comic person at all, Brett? I am pretty much the opposite of a comic person. Okay, but but I have enjoyed several graphic novels, uh, like compiled from comic books. I should say that compiled. What you like ran a command line thing and like found a bunch of comics and put them together and not that big a fan. No, <laughs> no. Um, I'm, I'm kind of on that end. I haven't been into comics most of my life and a couple of my friends have been starting to get me into them. And I've had this recent obsession with conferences. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm, I'm very suddenly interested in them. And did you become social? <laughs> that could be part of it. Um, yeah, working at home, right? I kind of discovered other human beings. There's a whole bunch of us around, actually. I didn't think I didn't think as as people age that they became more social, but that it's a possibility. Go on. Um, and you know, those two things have kind of come together, and I've I'm really kind of interested in the scene. I I feel sort of um, I don't quite want to say poserish, but like I'm not really into like 15 different comics that I can talk your ear off about right now. But I'm okay I'm, with that. 
I'm, I'm getting interested in a couple of the books and going to a conference like that. It was just amazing. Like uh, they had this section called artist alley, right. And where the actual artists of a whole bunch of these books or just people who do fan art for a living are out there and you can just walk right up and talk to them. You can you know, do it's, fan art for a living. Uh, at least part of a living. Sure. Huh. But it's it's what I would imagine. You know, I'm not a developer. I haven't been to WDC, but it's it's what I would kind of imagine a little bit being able to go to there and like talk directly to like an Apple engineer, like the person who works on this product that you found a bug in and you're trying to get it fixed. Like you get direct access to these human beings that make this incredible stuff you're totally into, and it's all under this one big massive roof. It's it's a really cool place. That sounds intriguing, frightening to me. <laughs> lot, I'm scared of any crowd, but a crowd doing something that I don't really have a foundation for, such as comic books, is very intimidating. But it does sound intriguing. Understandable. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, you can check a smaller one out sometime if you ever get you know, swept up into a book, but it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool place. If you find, you know, a a niche that works for you. I have, okay. You know that I, I, I use a a vaporizer cigarette, an e-cig. Yes. And, and I'm working on maybe quitting this summer, but in the meantime, I've discovered uh, building my own, like wrapping my own coils, creating my own wicks from boiled organic cotton and, Whoa. Like really turning it into like the hobby side of things. And it has been really fun. And it's been fun meeting people who also do this. Yeah. In real life, like meat world cigarette builders. And uh, I, I, I have found a certain uh, camaraderie. Uh, I, I, I've enjoyed the social aspect of, of the hobby. So I guess... I, I still think that on a large scale with more than like 20 people who were into <laughs> the same thing, I would find myself being very defensive or judgmental of like people who were doing it wrong. And uh, the old human nature thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets me a lot. Like I, I'm, I'm very often subject to my own uh, pre uh, prefabricated ideas of what, these what a conference attendee should be sure and then disappointed when they're not sure but that's just me that's sad i know so all we need to do is is find a a some kind of a con that's 20 people or less yeah i think that's called a party there might oh yeah okay party yeah uh meet up <laughs> i meet up possibly yeah yeah, yeah. i do okay <laughs> with those All right. Well, my second pick is an application that has been around for, I think, as long as I've been using the Mac and has somehow never come up on this podcast. Uh, But it's Fluid uh, by Todd Ditchendorf. And it's a you can use it for free. You get a bunch of extra features if you lay down $4.99, which I highly recommend doing just because you're supporting a great app. And what it does is it creates things that are called SSBs or single site browsers. So you can hook it up to any website, whether it's Facebook or uh, Gmail or whatever, whatever you use on the web, and it'll create an application dedicated to that website. So you can launch it with your favorite launcher type. I use it uh, a lot with MindMeister, my favorite online mind mapping tool. And so I'll just type in, you know, M-E-I-S-T or M-E-I into my launch bar and pop up and it'll go straight to my map list in MindMeister. And then I can use it with its own separate cookies from uh, Safari or, or uh, Chrome. And I can have uh, sidebars with uh, things like Twitter, uh, whatever other website I want to load as a sidebar that I can hide. You can pin these to your... Uh, menu bar. I use it with my application cheaters. Uh, so I have a menu bar SSB that just reads my cheater cheat sheets and uh, pops up with a hotkey. It can do tons of stuff. And if you, I, I have to admit, there are some things that are just better as web applications that really don't need to be dedicated applications. Uh, cheaters, for example, does not need to be a dedicated application. It is a web page. Um, and and fluid makes it possible to wrap 
anything web-based into your, you know, your application lineup. I I think you're right. Well, actually, two things. Hold on. One, it's, I don't want to say it's a crime that it hasn't been on the show yet, but I will ding you for not. Yes, yes, a misdemeanor for not mentioning Fluid yet. Uh, And I think it's about the same thing for me. It was one of the first apps that I found way, way back in the day, and it just blew my mind that it was possible to, to do this kind of stuff with uh with an app like this and it even like even the little stuff you can get you know uh a badge you know for certain apps that whatever the website you're using that notifies you of stuff yeah. you know it'll it it almost, it's got a whole javascript sdk like api i guess where you can you can add your own notific notifications and url handlers and all kinds of stuff to it yeah it's it's something uh it's something special and it's it's just been there for Ever as long as I can remember, and has been updated very recently, actually. Yeah, and he's uh, Todd's another guy, uh, uh, Todd Ditchendorf. Yeah, I is Todd. It? I Todd. Yeah, he's pretty responsive too. Oh, I'm, very. He's I'm awesome. kind of on that kick about responsive support, especially well, since that's the beauty of the Mac community in general is being able to instantly access the developer of the application you're using. And not true of the bigger applications where you have to go through like your first level of customer support before you reach the second level who will then send you to the manager and ultimately put you in touch with an engineer. <laughs> but with most of the applications that I use, I can, I can say, hey, this isn't working and I'll get an answer and usually a fix within a day. And while I don't expect that of everybody, it is really nice. Yeah, it's 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 tough to say, you know, and expecting that because support is is tough. Let's let's lay that down too. Oh, absolutely. You know, supporting an application, especially anything like this, where you're not to get into the conversation, but it, it can be difficult to to build applications like this. It's it's certainly tough to handle the support inflows and track down bugs and. But so I don't I don't want to say like quite expect, but it feels like something that's at the same time it feels like something that's lacking from a lot of the other companies that we deal with on on a day to day basis, and yeah. it's just it's so refreshing to meet people like Todd, uh, who who are totally there helping you out. Absolutely, I love it. It it definitely keeps me here. We were talking about how I really I I came to the Mac because of Terminal. Like. Right, right. You bought <laughs> you bought the expensive, gorgeous Mac with the lickable interface. I think that was the term they used back in the day, in order to type into a text editor. <laughs> I did, but mm. but the uh, the the array of applications and the amazing developer community has m- more than justified my my expense. <laughs> yeah, good people. Yes. All right. My s- no, your second pick. Third pick. Third pick. Ah! Okay. No, numbers oh. are hard. I know. Let's go <laughs> shopping. <laughs> well, I, um, my third pick, let's not just go shopping. Let's go all the way back to the 90s um, for this one because I finally found a pair of rollerblades that I've wanted for like 20 years. <laughs> so do, do you have spandex to go with them? <laughs> no. No, that that was an extra in-app purchase. Ah, uh, I see. Maybe not twenty years. Let's say fifteen years or so. Uh, at least since college. Yeah. Okay. So, so the big deal of these, they're they're uh, it's a it's a brand called Dupe, and the whole idea they make all sorts of types of blades. But I'm in Chicago, right? I'm a commuter. I like getting around the town quickly, and then when I get from point A to B, I want to walk into point B and. You know, rollerblades are kind of a pain in the butt, right? You usually have to carry your shoes in a backpack or something and roll around, and then you have to sit in the middle of the street, and people think something's wrong with you because you're putting shoes back on. Uh, I've always wanted a pair of rollerblades where you could use your own shoes, and they like they the blades, the skates attach to your feet. You know, you can just step into them with your shoes on, and you know, with a little bit of padding and some Velcro and and TLC, uh, you can just get on your way, and then when you get to where you're going, you just undo them very quickly, and now you're there and you still have your shoes on and you look nice. Okay, so I looked this up, and it appears that the average price for a full pair of rollerblades that include 
the boot is about a hundred dollars. Yeah. And it appears that the pair you're talking about that do not include the boot, the boot, <laughs> I'm from Minnesota, um, uh, it costs $250. So yeah. is, is the level of convenience you're describing, uh, equal to $150? It's it's very much like the the supposed Apple tax. You pay much more to get much less. <laughs> okay. Um, um. But no, no. It, it's so. I think one of the because I've had you know like a regular pair of of skates for a while. Uh, I think one of the things that they change with these is that they're very adjustable. So the whole backing. I mean, if you can look at a pair of skates or remember them, imagine them right now. You know the the backing that hits up against the the back of your leg is is very adjustable. You can adjust a lot of the like where your foot hits to in order to make it fit. You know a lot of different types of shoes that people are going to step into these things with. So I think that's one part of it. But there's also you know better hardware that comes with these things. The wheels. Um, I forget what type. I'd have to look at the type of wheels, but they're designed a little bit better for you know street skating stuff like that. Okay. I used to be. Well, I, I owned a pair of rollerblades in 1992 to 1993. So you left them in the 90s, like I did. a lot of people. I yeah. did. And in, in, in looking, we have two lakes with bike paths in our town. And there used to be, uh, in the 90s, a lot of people rollerblading around those lakes. And I have noticed over the years that that number has declined to approximately, I'd say, zero. And everyone's <laughs> running now. And and what 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 would you attribute the decline in popularity of the the inline blades to? The decline and so the original popularity and subsequent decline. Now, I understand the original popularity; they were new, fresh, and compared to a pair of roller skates, they were much cooler at the time. Why did that stop being cool? Mm, they are, you know, I don't know. Uh, they they are a bit of work. You know, carrying like a big boot with a bunch of wheels around. Which this kind of solves though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, these things aren't exactly, you know, flying off the shelves. Uh, <laughs> I think it's also that they never caught on that much. So, like, you know, city streets aren't very well, you know, designed for them. And then, you know, the same thing like I mentioned. Uh, you know, I think people just kind of ended up giving up because they are a pain in the butt for things like commuting. You know, bikes are much, I guess, easier to work with. Uh, you know, for getting around town and, and locking up. And these things are just, you have to carry them around with you all day. And it's just clunky. It just doesn't fit with a lot of people. I get it. I get it. I just realized uh, while we're talking that I forgot to close my office door. So I now have a large tuxedo cat, a German shepherd, and a little Siamese cat uh, about to start making noise. <laughs> so we should we should hurry. I'll get to my next pick. Um, I didn't mean to uh, be derisive towards your rollerblade pick. They do sound extremely handy. No, that's fine. Plenty of people on the lakefront trail along Chicago will will take care of that for you, so don't worry. (laughs) Just don't try it in Boston. I can imagine (laughs) Boston being a horrible place to rollerblade. I don't want to try most things in Boston. Well, I'm just just talking about terrain. I'm talking about terrain only. And San Francisco, that seems like suicide. San Francisco, oh man, back when I was in college, if we have time for this, uh I helped my brother move. Um he used to live in uh in San Diego. I helped my brother move uh up to Washington State where he is now, and he called me out for this thing that I had never heard of back then called Mass Effect. Or no, I'm sorry, not Mass Effect. Critical um, Mass. Critical Mass. There yeah. we go. Uh not a video game. Um actually going outdoors. Uh and we did a mass effect. We went to San Francisco. We critical did a mass of critical mass, <laughs> um, 10 miles, 10 miles a lot around the city of San Francisco, oh, uh, mostly people on roller skates and roller blades. And the route took us up two of those Hills. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've done critical mass in Minneapolis, which is very flat in comparison. I, I, Every time I've been to San Francisco, and I've been there a lot, I think how happy I am not to be on a bicycle. Which is funny because 
uh, back when I was kind of hoping we still had a shot at maybe trying San Francisco a little, for a little while, my wife and I, uh, it's one of the things that I've, the few times I've been there, it's one of the things that I feel like they have like a good cycling culture there where they do. And those people are very impressive to me. I just don't feel myself, uh, prepared for it. Is it, is it the cars and like the, you know, the, the death and physical injury? It's the steep hills. Oh, and the hills too. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what, you know, that way you don't have to go to the gym. Like you just get it in on your commute and, you know, you hit two birds. I've been using daily burn, so I don't even have to leave my house. (laughs) So my third pick won't require any discussion, really. But for anyone who uses homebrew and spends time typing things like brew, install, tmux, um, if, if, if that made any sense to you, then you should go check out Cake Brew, which uh, you can find on the interwebs. Uh, it's, a, it's a graphical user interface, also known as a GUI. Why am I explaining this? Anyone who knows what brew is knows what a GUI is. Um, it's a GUI for homebrew, and you can see all the available formulas. You can update homebrew. You can update your formulas. You can install new formulas, uninstall formulas, um, all kinds of uh, just stuff that you would normally do from the command line, but in a GUI. And that may sound counterintuitive, but it's actually really nice to be able to just quickly, in a, in a graphical interface, be able to see all the stuff that you've installed and, and maintain it and run. You can run Brew Doctor from it, and, and just, it's really cool. I found it very, uh, very handy. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 94 with David Chartier. He can be found at Chartier, uh, C-H-A-R-T-I-E-R on both Twitter and app.net, as well as chartier.tumblr.com and uh, and doing some longer form writing now at finerthings.in and uh, more info at davidchartier.com. So thanks for being here, David. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, man. I, I, I appreciate you humoring me. And I am Brett Terpstra. I am TT Scoff everywhere except at brettterpstra.com where I am Brett. And uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. See you in a week.